1: Welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Nikki Shields. And I'm Chad Douglas. This is episode 11, Helping versus Overhelping. When you are parenting a child with anxiety, it can be very, very difficult to know where the line is between helping, pushing, disciplining, and overhelping your child. And so today we're going to talk about how to know when to do what.
0: Absolutely. And before we get into today's episode, Nikki, I want to read a... uh, a favorable recommendation we got on Facebook, in case you don't know, we do have a Facebook page. It's called Scrambled Podcast, and this one comes from um, one of our listeners, Taylor, and she says, quote, I'm absolutely in love with this podcast. My 11-year-old is going through loads of big feelings or anxiety, and it's nice to know I'm not the only parent going through this bumpy ride. Also, love hearing all of the reminders to help get through some of the hard days. Bless your souls for being the voice, end quote. Taylor. Thank you so, so much. Again, she left that recommendation for us on Facebook, and we encourage you, if you like what you're hearing, to, uh, first of all, share it with people who you think need to hear this podcast, and give us a nice review and rate us on uh, those apps where you get your podcasts. Those reviews especially really help us kind of um, move up the charts, as we say every episode, and we get more eyes on this, which in turn gets more ears on the podcast, and we help more people.
1: Something new we've started for 2022 is a weekly Music of the Mind post on our Facebook page.
0: I really like this idea one because you have the history uh in therapy and you currently have that so it's not really history but i have the history in broadcast (laughs) and back in my college days i worked at a radio station and i love music so much and you can anybody listening can hear a song that they've heard from their past and it just instantly takes you back music has that feeling to kind of help you heal and it plays with your feelings good and bad but we thought it might be a good idea to, to throw some music uh, your way. And I'll go ahead and give props where props is due. This was my son's idea. He comes to me with a song we just posted a couple weeks ago called Overwhelmed. And he was like, Dad, listen to this song. This is, this is how I feel. It's like they're writing the song about me. So I listen to it. And it's basically kind of the, the writers wrote it like a panic attack to music form. And it's very, very good for parents to listen to the lyrics and go, okay, now I understand what my child's going through. I Think It's Good for the Child, it Was Mine, that he found something relatable, something that's music. He's a, he likes music. He's a musician. And so then I got to thinking like, man, I know so many songs that just, one, put me in a good mood, it made their upbeat songs that we can share with people that can maybe change their line of thinking or their mood for the day, and songs about anxiety because there's quite a few of those as well. So every week on Sunday, we're going to post a YouTube clip of the song that hopefully will either get you in a good mood or help you relate to some of the anxiousness you or your kiddos may feel in their life.
1: And I can't claim to be a big music person, Chad, but what I know about music is that it can speak to and help those who who maybe don't yet have the words to describe how they're feeling. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I know a lot of teenagers these days. I have a 13-year-old, and so, you know, I've got a lot of teens floating around me, and um, they love music, and they love lyrics, and and there's really complex ideas in their songs that they – they can't really talk about yet. They don't have the words to capture mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. experience, but they can relate to the music and they can relate to other people's words. and I, I think music is a wonderful tool for helping kids to make sense of their emotions. So I love this new thing that we're doing too.
0: Yeah, I do too. it's It's fun finding the songs, and I already have a long, long list um, to go to. So we also put on there every week that if you have a song that helps you kind of get out of your funk, let us know about it and we'll look into it and then you might see your song posted on our Facebook page. Again, that's scrambled podcast on Facebook. Okay, now let's get into episode 11, helping versus over helping. And you'd kind of tease a little bit about this is when to maybe push when not to push when do we discipline or when are they just being a child that needs a little extra hug or good kind words. So how do we want to get into this?
1: So I'll start by saying that this is—I mean—I would say probably like top two or three um, in the list of questions that I have been asked over mm-hmm. my years as a therapist for kids and their families. The question might be, how do we know when they're, you know, truly in need of, you know, help or support, or how do we know when they're manipulating us with their behavior? How do we know if it's emotional? How do we know if it's physical? You know, is every tummy ache something that should be treated like a tummy ache, or should we be looking at it differently? And so it's this question comes up in a lot of different ways and. And it's so hard. And one of the reasons it's so hard is that there's such a thin line between behavior, Mm -hmm. physical symptoms, and emotional symptoms. And I would argue that there really isn't much of a difference. Regardless of what it is, it's something that your child is having a hard time with. Okay, Okay. so think for a second, Chad. You know, you've got a couple of kiddos. Um, Has there ever been a time when you knew that your child, you didn't think of it as anxiety. You didn't think of it as a physical problem. You knew they were just being stubborn or they just were being strong-willed. Can you, can you think of a time like that where there was no question in your mind?
0: No. um, Because, and with my kid in particular, going pre-diagnosis of anxiety, it was, oh my gosh, you're the most difficult human on the planet. Why aren't you brushing your teeth? And then after we got the diagnosis of anxiety and spoke with a therapist and started to learn things of how his brain works, then it was kind of like, okay, you're just avoiding brushing your teeth because you know we are going to school after your teeth are brushed. So that's a hard question for me to answer. I set you up. (laughs) <laughs> well, thanks. Thanks.
1: I love it. I, I, I such a, because it is it, it is a tough, it, it's almost impossible. Like I would say that before you have kids, there, there's probably lots of clear lines um, that, that differentiate these things and you think, oh yeah, it. I would know. I would be able to tell. I know I thought I could. I thought mm-hmm. I would have no trouble knowing when my child was anxious versus sick versus just, you know, not wanting to do the thing. And And even, you know, trained in what I do, I still struggle. I mean, even in the last few weeks, we've had a, a little bit of a struggle where it's like, well, is this a... A food related issue? Is this anxiety? Is this just mm. stubborn? I don't want to do it? You know, and it, there isn't really an easy answer to, to which it is. But the good news is how you respond as a parent can pretty much be the same no matter what. You don't have to have a different response for if it's strong willed behavior, if it's anxiety, if it's a physical symptom.
0: Isn't that great? Yeah. It's great. So let's break it down. Let's start with you mentioned physical symptoms like tummy aches or headaches, feeling nauseous. What do we do with that to differentiate whether or not they need to go to the walk-in clinic to see a a doctor or if it's anxiety um, to kind of help them with that? Here's the thing. With kids, it it really... In their heads, it's the same. So
1: whether they're actually physically ill or they're experiencing physical symptoms of anxiety, it feels the same to them. They can't tell the difference. As we get older, we kind of get better at, like, recognizing those those little indicators of, like, oh, you know, I I, I feel like I might be getting something. Or, um, gosh, my anxiety is really up today. You know, we've, we've got all kinds of life experience that we can reflect back on and go, oh, the last time I felt like this, it was this, you know kids don't have that yet. And if you think about kids age, I I'm going to say like first dish grade through third, fourth, fifth, kind of that, you know, basically elementary school ages, they are figuring out so much about their minds, their bodies, their friends, their, their, you know, environment. And so really getting into touch with what it feels like to be sick versus what it feels like to be anxious. They just don't have it yet. It's just not that make, divided. That makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. So the, the key as a parent then in that moment is to one, as I've said a million times before, check your own anxiety, right? I, mm-hmm. you know, I've shared that my anxiety was rooted in an illness. So when my child comes to me and says, Mom, my tummy hurts, I, <laughs> I'm I'm in, you know, full-on freak out mode very quickly if I don't watch it. So I have to check that first. But then the next step is going, okay, well, they don't feel well. It doesn't matter if it's a, a physical trigger, an emotional trigger, or even if it's a stalling technique um, to keep them from getting to something else that they're fearful about compassion is, is what you need to lead with. And that feels very, very hard, especially if it's the 50th time it's happened and you're running late and you know, you've been through this every day and you're know you you're sensing that it's uh, you know, uh, an anxiety-induced thing, your frustration might be building. And so it's really, really tough to be compassionate in those moments. And that's why I wanna take a minute to talk about that. If you were in that child's shoes and you felt the way that they do, you might need some kindness too, no matter how many times this
0: has happened in a row. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And I'm sitting there putting myself in my own shoes, which is, oh, man, it's a tough (laughs) place to be. Uh, And you get because it's, you know, if it's school day, it's a work day. You wake them up and they're like, oh, my tummy hurts. Then you're like, okay, which one of us can stay home? Who can take to the doctor? Uh, I've got this meeting. Can you handle the morning time? So the compassion goes right out the Mm -hmm. window real darn quick. Can you teach compassion? <laughs> you can
1: practice it. Okay. Um, you know, and it it it's hard. And sometimes and well we're all we're all gonna miss that, right? That that might be our target, but we're we're gonna we're gonna shoot the wrong direction yeah. at times. Um even with good intentions, you're gonna miss it at times. But keeping it in mind and practicing it. And, and I can give you kind of some phrases that kind of help with that. And so I, I find that like tentative curiosity is a helpful way to go about it. So, you know, I'm going to use the example, you just kind of painted the picture of, you know, wake up in the morning, we've got a tummy ache, everybody's running late, mom and dad both have work and, you know, crazy busy schedules. And um, we're, we're frustrated, maybe a little bit overwhelmed at how are we going to solve this, right? So starting with, Deep breath, this child is feeling alarmed about something, whether it's a physical thing or emotional thing, they just they just need me to be calm and me getting upset isn't going to calm them down at all. So I'm gonna start with, gosh, I've noticed the last three days in a row, when you wake up, you have a tummy ache. Huh. I wonder, I wonder what that's about. Do you have any ideas? And what's cool about kids is if they they sense that you're being genuine with your curiosity, and Mm -hmm. spoiler alert, sometimes it doesn't come off as genuine. The first mm-hmm. few times because you're yeah. not used to talking that way and, and you you have a different emotion under the surface at that time, so it, it can mm-hmm. kind of not land. But when they feel like you mean it and you you stick with that, they'll tell you a little bit more. They might say, well... I think it's because, you know, I'm nervous about math class today. Or I think it's because I don't really like riding the bus. You know, they might tell you exactly mm-hmm. what they're nervous about. They might not. And that's a, that's the, one of the crazier parts about parenting is that you have kids on all ends of the spectrum. You've got kids that can tell you, you know, straight up, mom, my tummy hurts because I'm anxious and I don't want to go to school. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got kids that are like, ah, my tummy hurts and I don't know why. Don't and know why. we have to be the detectives and, and figure out um, in the middle. And so curious, compassionate responses are the best, but it does take practice. And so we're, we're going to revisit that in a second. Okay. But I'm going to throw in another kind of set of tips to, to help along the way um, that if you have these things in place, being curiously compassionate will be easier. Okay? okay. If you have clear guidelines for when you can stay home and when you have to go to school, that helps. So. Okay. If you have like our rule of thumb is if you have a fever, vomiting, other GI symptoms, um, you're coughing so hard you can't even you know focus. Okay, you have to stay home. We don't have a question about that.
0: Which is also the school's rule. So. Yeah, that's the school. Rule. <laughs> Nobody wants you there with a the fever and throwing up. Sorry, that's
1: exactly right. So you know I can I can kind of pull from from their guidelines and and make a structure that the kids know. If it's a vague complaint, there's no physical signs that there's sickness, we as parents should send our kids to school. There are. School nurses, there are people there that that will call you if something is truly wrong or if okay. something surfaces later. But if you know if your child knows this is the guideline, you have to go to school unless these things are happening, then there's no question. I've worked with lots of families where that that line is very fuzzy and kids yeah, can stay home yeah. when they're having a you know an off day, or kids can stay home because, you know, they just don't want to go or or you know, they don't have to really be sick to stay home, or they've learned to kind of trick the system. That makes it much harder to know how to respond when you're not sure if it's anxiety or a physical thing.
0: Does that make sense? It does. And it also made me think of the state of Illinois just passed a law Mm -hmm. where they're giving students five mental health days a year, which is Mm -hmm. really good. And I mean, I've called in with mental health days before it was law. And just mm-hmm. like, sorry, not coming to school today. We're keeping them home for mental reasons. And mm-hmm. they've never had a problem with it, um, thankfully. But I think it's great. And I also think it's good that they set a limit at five. five so someone right. doesn't overuse it to get, to get away with something. So that's something I think that should be applauded.
1: Yeah. And I, I think it's one of the coolest things that's, that's happened um, for childhood mental health in a long time. The The hard part for parents, and I've I've heard lots of conflicting opinions on this, is how do you make sure it's used appropriately? And, you know, the thing is, it's it's limited to five. And so, you know, if you think that your child is one that's going to have to use those kind of days, you might have a conversation, you know, hey, you've got these five days. You have to decide if it's worth using it or not. Even young kids are good at, at that kind of budgeting, you know, right. and, and it, it's a good skill to to teach over time. And maybe you come up with, you know, here's the red flags that you might need, you know, a mental health day. Maybe it's we've been in tears for three days over little yeah. things, or maybe it's we haven't slept well. Um, just kind of figuring out what those indicators are that actually being at home would be a really, really good idea. Um, and then kind of challenging kids. You don't I would I would encourage parents. Not to use the multiple days in a row. So don't use all the five days at once unless there's like a serious, you know, crisis going on. And then that's a different conversation with your, with your school staff anyway. Um, But spread it out so that they have that opportunity to take a break, you know, throughout the year rather than it all being used up close together.
0: Use them as, as needed. I know one of the the days that I I called in for my son was he and myself, I remember when I was a kid, I knew which parent to go to when I wanted Mm -hmm. X versus Y. So kids know how to play their parents. I should then not play their parents, but they know which parents that they're gonna get stuff out of. And so, you know, I know my kids pretty well. And there was one day where he might be a little more anxious around his mom. One day he was panic attack and crying and everything around me. And he's less anxious around me. So that's when I knew I'm like, okay, something's going on. He has mentally exhausted himself before seven thirty in the morning. He's not gonna do well. He needs to just mm-hmm. stay home. So no parents know their kids. And I think that's a, a good tip to have too, is like, you'll know, I think when your kid <laughs> needs to take the mental health day. That's right.
1: And and in the end, if you err on the side of having them home and it wasn't that big of a deal, you know, so they, they have a day to kind of regroup. Like, is that the end of the world? No. You know, it, right. it just means they have one last for the rest of the year and that's okay too. But I think it's a great thing that we have access to. And I just think if you have a child that truly, that really, you know, is really struggling with mental health things, have a conversation as a family about that and what it means and when we use them and when we don't. Um, that that's That's just the best way to go about it. I think it's a a cool thing we have access to. And so, you know, those, the, the things to kind of have in place to help make it easier to know when to push and when not. Um, So the first was, you know, curious compassion. The second is um, the idea of having some clear guidelines on when you have to stay home for illness and when you clearly need to go to school. Um, And then I think my third tip is, is track, track stuff. So, and you'll hear me say, I'm sure I've brought that up in other episodes, Chad, but track everything. Um, You know, have a notebook, have a journal, a calendar, an app, whatever your best system is, and keep track of the hard days. Keep track of tummy aches, um, physical complaints, the, the, you know, times that you think they're being excessively stubborn or strong-willed. Track that stuff. Note the date, the time, the place, who was there, what was involved, what was the outcome, what helped, what didn't. Because after, you know, weeks. um, And for some families, months of data collection, you have a pretty clear pattern and you can Mm -hmm. go, oh, this is pretty clearly about, you know, one particular thing, or this is food related. So if you're, if your tracking includes, you know, tracking food and sleep and, and all those kinds of things too, you can get a pretty good idea of what's going on and really relatively quickly. I mean, if, if you're worried that it's a food related thing, usually within two weeks, you're going to start to see a pattern of certain things that they eat or drink, are affecting your behavior and mood. If it's um, something, you know, a stressor that maybe they haven't yet been able to verbalize and it's causing those, you know, anxiety symptoms and physical symptoms, um, you'll you'll start to pick up on that pretty quickly as well. Um, strong-willed behavior, again, you're going to see those patterns pretty quickly, and it's going to help you have a better idea of how to respond.
0: What advice do you have for parents who are dropping the kiddo off at the drop-off line at school, so there's a line of cars behind you, and that's when the tummy ache, tummy ache hits?
1: Uh, Is tuck and roll an option? Just, just. I wish.
0: Or just run away screaming from the car. (laughs)
1: just, Just put the car in park, get up, run. You know, there's just I'm there's done no, checking out. I'm out. This is yours. Um, so this is this is a, a tougher one to unpack because I mean, I even just when you described it, I was like, oh, I hate that moment. Like I, mm-hmm. I feel that. Um, and so part of it is if it's the first time it's happened, you're not going to know what to do. Even if I give you like 37 different tips, so you just you just kind of have to handle it as it goes. Um, if it's becoming a pattern or you see the intensity in that, you know, the drop off moment increasing over time, enlist some school staff to help you we um i think I can't remember which kiddo it was what? I maybe my youngest. We had some morning struggles um, that were we found out later related to some sensory issues. Mm-hmm. And we had a principal at uh, the, the school she was going to at the time that was just great. She just you know we we had a drop off line meltdown and she swooped in and handled it and called me later and let me know everything was fine and um, it was great. And I I can't say enough about you know enlisting the the teachers there. They know what they're doing and they can yeah. they can safely get your child into the building and handle it. Um, I know it's not as easy as that. And a lot of those situations don't always go the way that I just described. Um, have you had any experiences in that space that like you could get some tips based on?
0: No, I was asking for myself, Nikki.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I see. I see what you um, did there.
0: But I, I do. I mean, we've had this a lot happen. And the reason I brought it up was in this helping versus over helping episode is instantly you try to stay in that green zone, but then bam, that brainstem kicks in that fight or flight thing. And you start to say things like, well, if you don't get out now, then you're going to lose this. Or if you get out now, I'll buy you a puppy when you get home from school. And so <laughs> at that point, when are you helping versus overhelping just to get out of that moment? Or is the situation not just a moment? It's more of a bigger picture and you need to tackle it that way. Because you got a lot of angry parents behind you. And, and they do get
1: pretty upset if you
0: <laughs> hold them up my
1: goodness the drop off line is no joke it's 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 all of that so it okay. is a bigger picture thing and if you and your child and the school and everybody are on the same page and you've identified the the source of the issue and you have a game plan those moments are going to be fewer and far between but it takes a lot of work to get to that point where everybody understands what's happening and knows how to respond so your your idea of you know like bribery and threats mm-hmm. of world domination mm-hmm. and and whatnot, <laughs> those things, neither one are going to work. Because if, if we, you know, as we've talked about before, you're in the brainstem. So yep. logical, you know, consequences, um, chronology, you know, uh, offers of puppies mean nothing because they're in fight or flight. And so there's nothing about that um, situation that's going to, going to result in, oh, okay, well, I don't want to get in trouble, so I'll pull it together. I really want a pony, so I'm going to, I'm going to, you know,
0: cooperate. go to school. Yeah,
1: exactly. So what, what needs to happen is you, you, you need to go to that space where you work them back from the back of their brain up to the front of their brain. And so you have to start with safety. You're safe. Everyone here will keep you safe. Um, and, and then and when, once you know that, you know, they're calmer on that front, then you start to talk about, but you're anxious about going to school. You don't know what's going to happen. It It's hard to be there. Sometimes you feel nervous at school. It's really scary, right? You're almost giving words to the, the worries that are in there that they might not be able to voice themselves. And then, if you stick with that, then you get you know to the frontal lobe, um, the front part of the brain, the green zone, where you can say, "Gosh, that was really hard, but you worked yourself through it." Now, let's come up with three things you can do today, you know, that will help you stay at school or help you have a really good day. Or if they're younger and you need to break it down more, it might be, um, you know, your first subject is reading, and you know, so let's what can you do to get through reading? And so it's. My I've said before that my examples often are kind of silly, but but you get the idea that it's you can you can have a power struggle. You can jump Mm -hmm. right into the the back of your brain, too. And the two of you can have a, a fight or fight, fight, wait, a fight or flight fight right there in the car in the drop off line. And then you can both go off to school and work, you know, traumatized or you can take a minute. Work through it. Give them space. Maybe you have to pull into the parking space instead of the drop-off line. Walk them through it. Walk into the school. You know, connect them with the next person who might be able to help them through. Um, Because it's going to take more time, yes. But a power struggle is not exactly, you know, a short, quick, easy thing either.
0: Pulling into the parking lot without squealing your tires, you know. Yeah. Knowledge I gained from a friend. I'm kidding. (laughs) I haven't done that in a while. One additional
1: thing to think about with this, as if there's not already a lot to think about, is that sending your child, scooting them out of the car and and taking off is okay if you know your child has the supports and skills needed to handle what's next, right? If you know that once they get in there, they're going to have a nice, loving teacher who's going to help them, you know, bridge the gap and get to the next thing and they're going to settle down and have a great day, that's awesome, right? But if you haven't yet built up that connection or you know your child just doesn't have the skills to to navigate what's coming, that's not really fair, right? That's that's potentially a traumatic experience to be, you know, nope, I'm going to work. You're at school now. Uh, so the key is if you start to see this, like day one, your child has, you know, school refusal in the drop-off line and doesn't want to go in, it's time to make a connection with the teacher, have a conversation about what's happening at school. What are they able to do maybe to help get them in the building, you know, and kind of like like. like ease their distress, because skills and support are absolutely necessary. And so anytime we're talking about, am I helping? Am I pushing? Am I disciplining? Am am I pushing too hard? The answer at the center of that is, does my child have skills? And does my child have support? And if they have those two things, then you're probably doing okay, and you're not pushing too hard.
0: Right? Excellent advice. Yeah. I think uh, for parents, especially on the newer end of this journey of anxiety, you might, after you listen to this episode, listen to it again in a couple of days, just so you catch everything. Because when you're in the moment, and you've all been in the moment, if you're listening to the Mm -hmm. podcast, nothing's going to come to you rationally. So having this kind of in the back of your head, I think is some good advice. Okay, Nikki, now let's move into when to push a child. Um, And with anxiety, the children are going to react differently, where you have a child that doesn't have the extra anxiety, you might be able to push a little farther. That's a question. Um, But when you go to something, if uh, and I'll bring up like some sort of audition or a tryout, and they're nervous, okay? Every person on the planet gets nervous before that. But if you've got that extra anxiety or a diagnosis, you're going to get extra anxious. Do you push them to go forward with that tryout, that audition, or do you back off and what's going to be best for them?
1: You might. Predict this maybe after after several episodes, but my answer is going to be a a convoluted mix of both. Um, Yeah, there are. Yeah, you're like, yeah, great. Um, but there will be times that you absolutely should push, and they should do the thing, and you should not rescue them from it or or help them to avoid the thing. But there are also times where you have to say, you know what, they're eight, and if they don't want to try out for soccer this year, not the end of the world. We've got a whole season or two seasons. I don't know how. Soccer works. But we have a period of time where we can build skills, increase confidence, and and get that child ready to do that hard thing. Right. Right. But sometimes when you've already been through those steps and you know they have it, you know they have the skills, you know they have the support, and you know that they want the thing that they're scared about, then that's when you push. You and push. It, something that's really, really tough for parents is is knowing that balance of when do I rescue? When do I say, you know, okay. You don't have to do the thing because I know this is really, really hard for you. And and when do I say you have to do the thing? And it feels as a parent, like that was one of my first spots where I felt mean because I was like making my child do something that they were actively telling me they didn't want to do, but I knew it was the right thing. Kids have lots of opportunities to avoid difficult things today, right? So a great example that comes to mind is that with COVID, we've had a much easier access to remote education right? Mm-hmm. Used to be very rarely could you do school online or from home. Very, very unique circumstances would allow for that. Now, all of our kids have had large chunks of time where their schooling was online and away from the classroom. And even though we've gone back to the classrooms in lots of areas, I know some still haven't, but in our area, they're they're back in the classrooms. It is easier than ever to get remote schooling if you're having any kind of difficulty or if you don't want to be in the classroom. And the the problem I see with that is that the kids who are not going back into the classroom are missing out on some huge opportunities to gain social skills, mm. confidence, you know, just social competence, right? And so remote options are great when you're sick. When you know things need to be shut down in the community for health reasons, um, but it's a really, really bad idea for kids with anxiety to be taken out of the classroom for long periods of time, because now they just have a much bigger mountain to climb when it's time to go back to school, and they've missed out on all of those growth and development opportunities that are built into our school system. So that kind of thing makes it easier. Our remote and electronic and you know tele services everywhere make it much easier to stay at home. And that is not great for kids with anxiety. If, if I had been a child in this era, I, I don't know that I would have gone to sixth grade at all. You know, it just was, it was too much. And I don't think that I would have done it if I, I'm sure my parents would have, would have encouraged me to go and, would and made that happen. You. They would have pushed, but I wouldn't have wanted to. And if I knew that was an opportunity, I wouldn't have been able to be logical about it. So that's a that's a difficult conversation for families is is when do you when do you say, yeah, you really shouldn't go do that thing because that's too much for you right now. Um, and when do you push and make sure they do the thing
0: or quit in the middle of the season of mm-hmm. something? And, you know, we we paid for you to do this. And some sports, some events, uh, you know, bands is more expensive than others. Mm-hmm. And so you're there's an investment there. Um, yeah. But then you look at the investment in your child as well. And that's I kind of always go back to they only get one childhood. And <laughs> I had a really good childhood. And I think the thing is you want to give your children a better childhood than you had. Mm-hmm. And so I had great supportive parents. I didn't have anxiety and stuff, but I got to do all the things I wanted to do. So that's what I want my kids to do. Maybe I over pushed them. I don't know.
1: And, and I think it's hard to know and you have to kind of read the red flags. I mean, it's it's good for kids to do stuff and it's good for yeah. them to be involved. And we know that the kids who are more active in their schools, their churches, their sports, their, you know, extra activities, they have better confidence and they are, you know, less fearful. And that's that's a good thing, right? We yeah. We want them to have those skills and that kind of thing. But it also, there is that like fine line where it's, for some kids, it's not worth the fight. Right, and we also have to kind of like as parents, we have to stop and and think in small chunks at a time. Again, an eight year old not wanting to play soccer is not the end of the world. Is not ruining their their chances of you know getting a scholarship and going off to a good school and and being a functional adult. So we don't have to jump you know to those conclusions early on. But we kind of have to do the pros and cons thing um, when it comes down to it. If if a child is like, I just don't want to do this thing, and I I'm scared and I'm nervous, and you know you have to you have to. Break it down. It, are they going to gain more from doing this, or potentially be, you know, it, are their symptoms going to get worse? And this is where I kind of take it back to what we said earlier. With if they have the skills and the support, push. If yeah, they don't, okay. it's time to time to protect them a little bit, you know. So even you know, we got a call the other day uh, from the school nurse, and um, my kiddo was like, "Mom, I don't feel good. I don't feel good." And, and in my head, I'm going, "Well, I know, there's really." Not much chance that she's sick. We have not been anywhere. I, there, you know, maybe something she ate bothered her. I don't know, but there were no symptoms, no fever. The nurse was like, "Well, I don't, I don't see anything." She just says she feels bad. So I said, "You know what? Let's give it time." And the nurse worked with me. She was like, "Okay, I'll keep her here for thirty more minutes, and if she starts to feel better, I'll send her back to class. If something else happens, I'll call you right back." And by the time I called back to check in, she'd already gone back to class and was just fine. And she came home that day, and we just we praised that you did it. You, you were anxious. You didn't feel well. You weren't sure what was going to happen. You were nervous. But you you got through the day. Isn't that great? Um and so that's the other side of it is when you do push or you do make your child do the thing that's kind of hard that they're saying, I don't wanna do, and they do it, you gotta reward and, and congratulate and kind of celebrate. celebrate that win.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Nikki, let's talk a little bit about discipline. And I'll say up front I think the parents both need to be on the same page. Uh, when it comes to how to discipline the child and when you talk like divorce parents and everything or or parents who aren't married, you've got that's a bigger conversation to have. but go <laughs> hold in- on hold on yes, yes listen Here's the thing if we're gonna
1: talk about agreeing about discipline, we're gonna need a lot more time. That's like a six hour <laughs> episode minimum. that's oh boy, we're opening a can of worms there.
0: Netflix docu series there. Episodes, that's right like 10 that's episodes. Right. Okay. All right. Well, then, well, we won't go there. How about we talk uh, a little bit about manipulation and how to know when a child? Again, I spoke earlier in the episode about you know every kid knows which parent to play when they want X versus Z. Um, so when you have a child of with anxiety going, okay, how is this, or how do I know this is anxiety speaking versus this is the way he's manipulating me to get the way or what he wants?
1: Yes. So th- this is you know just as convoluted and tricky as is, is the previous attempts to, to kind of talk about it but but ultimately like you, you know your kid and if you kind of like frame it in your mind as like okay yeah he's being strong-willed and difficult but underneath that is something right underneath that is a difficult emotion a fear a worry a, a discomfort of some kind right so when you can when you go yes there's this behavior but if we go back to the thought triangle from mm-hmm. our last episode, mm-hmm. you know, there's a thought, then a feeling, then a behavior. So if you're seeing strong-willed behavior, what kind of feeling do you think might be triggering that? Think about in your own life, like what what's a feeling that would prompt that kind of behavior?
0: Yeah, I've actually asked my son that. I'm like, okay, what was the thought behind that action? What were you thinking at that time? Mm-hmm. Going from your thought triangle episode. So yeah. some okay. some good advice. Now, he might not tell me what his thought was. It, you know, it's more or mm-hmm. less like going, mm mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, that helps.
1: But even, yeah, just looking at through that lens helps you to go in that moment. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's not just this child trying to make me lose it. Right. Because I mean, stubborn behavior is one of my triggers as a parent. When I sense that what's happening is just like I'm digging my heels in and I'm not going to do the thing. And I, I, because I was not a stubborn kid, you know, and I think of myself as fairly cooperative. And most areas of my life, and so I have a really hard time dealing with somebody who's just like pushing back like that. Mm-hmm. But the but the thing is that there's there's a feeling and there's a thought that that's prompting that, and the difference between that that kid's feeling and thought and uh, a symptom of anxiety or some other mental health thing is not that far off, right? It's it's essentially right. the same. And so if you if you use that framework, you get okay the kid is digging their heels in, that's the behavior. They're probably thinking, I don't want to do this because if I do this, I'm going to have to do that. Or I'm not going to get to do this thing I want to do. Or, there's a thought there. And and given the situation, you can probably predict some of what that might be. Um, and there's there's feelings that are pretty strong and powerful. So that's where you go back to your brain model and you go, okay, well, where if if a child is digging their heels in, but they're not like acting out angry, aggressive, it's it's probably more the blue zone. So if you can speak to the emotions that are underneath that behavior, you might get somewhere. So it might be, I don't know, give me an example of a, a kid being stubborn.
0: Go brush your teeth.
1: So instead of if you don't go every brush your day.
0: teeth. Every <laughs> day. <laughs> every day. Just
1: do it two to three times a day every day for the rest yes. of your life. Is that too much yes. to ask? No, um,
0: it's you would not. think not.
1: Instinct might be, you, you've said brush your teeth maybe three, four times. That hasn't happened yet. And so now you're like, brush your teeth or I'm going to like back over your phone with my car. Right. Yeah. That, that mm-hmm. m- we might be, you know, thinking that. However, if you're if if your response the first or maybe the second time after you've said brush your teeth, if it hasn't happened yet, if if your response is, hmm, I asked you to brush your teeth and I noticed you haven't wonder what's going on there. Hmm. And you're just kind of, you know, asking that question. Um, if you've got a kid who's pretty verbal and can make sense, they might just say it, it might be that he doesn't want to brush his teeth because he doesn't want to go to bed because when he goes to bed, he feels really afraid and he knows that, you know, it could be a long night. So oftentimes there's something more to the stubborn behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, but as I said, that's, that's a trigger for me. And so it's hard for me to remember that there's usually something under it. I just, I just want to like scream, like, just do the thing and everybody's lives will be easier. But like that that really works. I've tried. Number of times Same. it does, yeah. doesn't get you anywhere. But if you if you go back to the the brain model and the triangle, you have a framework to go. There's something there, and it's worth my time. Now, what a lot of parents do, and and this is this actually fits with the idea of discipline. I know I said we didn't have enough time for that; that we'd have to do a whole series. But um, one piece of discipline that's really important to remember is that if you've given a request, you've asked your child to do something, and you've given that request 57 times, and they haven't done the thing your anger and frustration are now the problem. It's not the request. Right. It's not the child's behavior. It's the fact that you asked so many times that now you're mad, right? So the key is ask once or twice and then become a detective, right? And that's where that compassionate curiosity can come back up again. Mm-hmm. And it can be like, hmm, I've noticed I asked you to X, Y, and Z, and you didn't do that thing. I wonder what that's about, right? But what I would recommend, and I, I'm not always a fan of this, you know, like if I'm in the middle of a good movie or a good book or I'm finishing the dishes or whatever other mom thing I'm doing. Late
0: for school slash work, yes.
1: Right, yes. A hundred things going on. I don't want to take the time to go physically to them and say, you know, what's the deal? But I promise you, you'll save time and stress overall if you, oh, I've asked twice. You haven't done it. All right, I'm here now. I'm right physically next to you. Make an eye contact with you. I'm inquiring. I'm asking might, might even speculate. Hmm. I wonder if you don't want to brush your teeth because you don't want to go to bed. Right. That that's a powerful moment when you can stay calm and do that early on because then they feel seen and they feel understood and they feel heard, especially if that's truly the issue. If it's not, and they have a tendency to be strong-willed, you can bet they're going to correct you. Right. So, so when it comes to discipline in general, it's all the same as responding to a meltdown or responding Mm. to an anxious moment. It's going, what's, what's behind this behavior? What's going on here? How do I respond in a way that either solves that or helps them to solve that gives them a skill, helps them work through it, that kind of thing. Um, But, but there's another issue when it comes to discipline, that's, that's a little more complicated. And that is, you mentioned, you know, in parents agreeing, right? Oftentimes when you've got a child with anxiety, you've got you know, maybe, and I'm just going to use some, some stereotypes, but it isn't always like this in every family, but maybe, you know, dad's more like, well, he just needs to do the thing, you know, and, and mom is like, oh, but, but he's nervous, you know? And so there's a little bit of um, just difference of opinion. So then the conflict comes between the parents and it kind of steps away from being able to really figure out what's going on with the kiddo. And that's, that's difficult.
0: Okay. All right. That makes sense. So I think what I want to do here is maybe make a note that a future episode, we're going to talk more about discipline specifically and you know, take some notes and, and we'll get that done in the future. Sound good?
1: That sounds good to me. There's so much more on that. It really is is complex and, and the interplay between parents just makes it that much tougher. So, but I would love to revisit that. We'll come back to that and we'll give you some more ideas in that
0: area. Let's, before we leave then Nikki, give a quick recap of some of the, the techniques that you've talked about today.
1: Okay, yes. So I think the most important things that that we hit on today, one, is to be curiously compassionate. All right. So come come at your child's struggle with the idea of wanting to know more and being kind and loving and and kind of, you know, keeping your own frustration, your own anxiety, your own emotions as in check as possible so that you can inquire as to what's going on. Second step is really just having the supports and the skills in place before you push your child to do things that they're anxious about. So the the supports might look like you know working with school staff to have some plans for those really difficult drop-offs or other parts of the day that're really hard. Communicating with the school nurse about you know how to keep your kiddo in the classroom as much as possible, even if they're having anxious tummy aches on a regular basis. That kind of thing. Um, the skills are you know that's where you know, you might, you could be kind of a dork about it and, and get your kid an anxiety workbook, or it might be going to a counselor, or it might be sitting down and and having a conversation with your kid about, you know, what to do if they start to feel a tummy ache or headache, or just anxious, if they're able to describe, you know, anxious feelings, but just having some skills and some ideas so that they're not going blindly into a scary thing. Um, So compassionate curiosity, skills, support, and then when it comes to discipline, when we, you know, are looking at what well, is this behavior? Is this emotion? Is this a physical symptom? At the heart of whatever it is, is a thought, feeling and behavior. And so if we look through that framework, and we use the brain model to kind of walk through and get back to where we need to be, it's a lot easier. But as a, as a kind of like a final sum up to all of that, even with these tips, it's still really hard. And And that's mm-hmm. why there's a podcast to do. That's why there's, therapists out there. That's why there's medications. That's why there's all these different sources and services, because this is really hard. Um, And so I just encourage you not to give up. Keep trying, ask questions, ask for help. That's the most important thing.
0: All right. Awesome. Thank you, Nikki. I think when we set out to do this, when I told you this was going to be my favorite one, and this has been our longest episode, so that just kind of speaks to how important I think this is, and I think this is going to be very beneficial to the parents. We've had a lot of parents um, information. Our next episode, we're going to kind of divide between parents and children. We're going to talk about social media, and anxiety. And that's could be another rather lengthy episode. Um, a lot of kids maybe got devices over Christmas or the holidays, and they've gotten their Instagrams or Snapchats or whatever, and um, bullying can be part of it. And what they see on there can make them very, very anxious. So that will be episode 12 out in two weeks. As always, we appreciate you listening. If you know someone who could benefit from this podcast, please, please share them. Again, we ask you to rate and review us. Our whole goal in this is starting a conversation and that conversation starts with you.